Welcome back to CHPO Bears After Dark, presented by Circa Sports. Uh, we appreciate Circa hanging out with us here on another edition of Bears After Dark. How we doing, Woot? First Sunday uh, without football here yesterday. Did you survive? I, I did survive, but I, I definitely missed the uh, Braggs video, taking the shirt off of Burke Kreischer, Super Bowl <laughs> week. Yes. I kind of missed I kind of missed that whole experience, but uh, yes. hey, you guys out out there living your best life, so, you know, yes. I, it it definitely is weird though without football. Like uh this past weekend, you know, like I I just had a, like, oh, what game it there's no game. <laughs> it's no over. Game. It's over. No game. But, no game. We got nothing but uh college basketball right now here gearing towards March Madness. Purdue down Purdue goes one Purdue. and done again. Yep. Yeah. Probably. The first Sunday without football and Purdue loses to Ohio State on the Sunday afternoon stage. Uh Northwestern then beat uh your Wildcats beat IU on the road at Assembly Hall. So we'll be gearing towards March Madness. Uh trying to plan some fun things for the tournament. So stay tuned for some of those updates. Uh, but before we get into any updates, let's bring on our guest for the night. Our guy, big Steve Edwards um, honored here. We got two former bears here, one on the defensive line, one on the offensive line. I figured we talk some trenches here tonight. How are we doing tonight, Steve? I'm doing good. How about you guys? Doing good, man. Doing good. I, I was asking Corey before we started the show. I, I wasn't sure if you guys had ever crossed paths, and he said you guys hadn't. No, no we, man. I was a little older, we... older than Corey. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. Uh, did you, uh, Corey, did you, uh, was Olin there when you got there? Yep. So my rookie year, that was the last year for the Bears. Um, so yeah, I got, I got to spend a year with him. And then we trained at the same place in the offseason at Poliquin Performance over there in Northbrook. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, you cross. I was, you know, we probably missed each other. Olin was there for a long time, so maybe about three or four years. And I miss Corey being there, but I, I watched I, obviously a plenty of him playing, um, putting uh, Brett Favre through the turf in Minnesota, <laughs> you know, in uh, University of Minnesota, which I'm sure he's used to doing that playing in Northwestern. So yeah, I watched plenty of this guy uh, give quarterbacks hell. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we're looking forward to your insights, both of you guys here, uh, as I put, pick your brain on what the Bears should do, because Corey's been uh, really beating it into my thick headed skull that we need to build into the trenches. And regardless of what they do at quarterback, uh, I think it's obvious building on the offensive and defensive line is going to be top priority for Ryan Poles here this offseason. But Steve, you know, I did notice yesterday you did a little podcast of your own where you brought yeah. on a, a lot of different podcasters and fans around bears nation, trying to gauge, you know, the, the great debate that is Justin Fields versus Caleb Williams uh, through your little exercise. You know, what was your biggest takeaways? Well, you know, that, that, that was a lot of people voiced their opinion um, on Facebook when I put it out there, but when I, you know, I had the open platform, not a lot of people showed up like, I thought they would. I don't know if they got scared and had to put their face on the camera, you know, but uh, it only had a couple. But, you know, people have definitely been um, expressing their voices through social media, through my uh, my questions I've been asking. I know. I mean, obviously, that's the hot topic for anybody in, the, you know, in, the, in Chicago sports media, Chicago Bears kingdom and fans and 
alumni. Um, but, it, it, you know, I'll tell you, it feels like everybody's leaning towards Justin Fields and, you know, a lot of people love him. And I think they lean towards, you know, accumulated picks. Uh, me, on the other hand, I'm more so on taking the quarterback at number one. Um, seeing where we're at at the number nine, I think we still have great value at that number nine pick. You either select a really good player there or, you know, uh, just how the, the draft kind of falls to that point that we can possibly move that pick and acquire, you know, um, more additional uh, picks, but also get your quarterback at the top. Well, that's interesting, uh, you know, because Corey and me have been going at it. We've been going 12 <laughs> rounds for a few months now, and I'm team draft Caleb, and he's team keep Justin Fields. And uh, it, we, we've gotten pretty heated at each other here a few times, and Corey's <laughs> Corey's been bullying me, trying to get me to flip flop. And a few times he's succeeded uh, trying to scare me into keeping fields. But from your standpoint, do you want to elaborate why you feel that they should draft Caleb Williams and, and move on from Justin Fields, somebody that is very loved here in this city? Well, you know, I'll tell you this first, you know, I know where, how people can fall in love with Justin Fields, the person when I met him at the bears gala, uh, his rookie year, uh, went right up to him, you know, and uh, he's with his father and he was very open and welcoming and me and him talked, you know, I told him I'm from Chicago and, you know, I told him how this uh, city can be his, you know, uh, we just need that quarterback. And I fell in love with the guy, just his personality. And I, so I was a big, a big fan of him having success, but at the end of the day, you know, I am a Bears fan, grew up in Chicago and, um, you know, obviously played for him. Um, I feel that we need a guy like Kayla Williams. It, it this, you know, I, I got to dive a little more into the uh, film, but what I've seen and what I what I've saw so far, I think he just gives us like, okay, so let me get right into it a little more deeper. That's what you want. Um, you know, everybody can get a Patrick Mahomes comparison, right? You know, and and, and that's a hard one, but I think the mode of Patrick uh, Pat uh, Mahomes is, you know, Jordan Love. Uh, C.J. Stroud. You just look at this past playoffs and what you saw. Those two guys, guys who are necessarily not, you know, they're not runners, but they're they're mobile. They can give you the 15 yards scrambling, you know, when things break down, um, and then also get it in the pocket. Quick releases, um, spot passes, you know, quick decisions. Um, you saw how successful that was. Even C.J. Stroud, uh, in a the first year head coach, they didn't have all the pieces around him. He had that great success, not only just, you know, winning the playoff game, but during a regular season. And then how Jordan Love, you know, got Green Bay on that hot streak towards the end. And it seemingly Green Bay has their third quarterback. When you look at those type of quarterbacks, they kind of fit more of the, the mold of a Patrick Mahomes, you know. So, and then I look at Justin Fields and I say his comp, uh, you know, a lot of people say, you know, Lamar Jackson, you know, because they're runners, they're, di they're different players. Um, but under the same mold where you have to build something around them, an offense that fits their needs. I, I, and obviously, absolutely, I don't think we did that. I don't think uh, Luke Getze did a good job at putting an offense around him. Um, but at the same time, I think you got to look at the success rate of a RPO type of scheme. Lamar Jackson hasn't had the most success in the past years in the playoffs. He hasn't really... You look at some of his, it's like wild card done, uh, division around done uh, this year. 
you know, they won their first playoff game, divisional round, um, and then they get the conference championship, fall short. You know, it's just that type of offense. I don't know if it gets you there. So let's look at the people who have gotten, gotten to the Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts in that type of offense where they designed the round, fell short. Um, to Cam Newton, who I think uh, Justin Fields kind of, that's his, if that's a comp, that's his comp, Justin uh, Cam Newton. And I don't think he's nowhere close to Cam Newton, what Cam Newton did, but I think that's his comp. Cam MVP that year, got to the Super Bowls, fell short. But also, this is my other caveat to it, Cam Newton started dipping down in his career because of injuries after that. You know, the you know when you got a guy who you use and run situations like that, they they start they're 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 um, you know injuries start piling up. In order to adjust in the last two years, he's been out, so you got to throw that into the equation too. So I think Luke Getzey didn't do his job, but at the same time, let's look at Luke Getzey. He gets picked up. Um, obviously, he was the second choice at offensive coordinator, but he gets picked up. Now, let's go back to some of the things that in Luke Getz's offense, you know, he tried to make Justin fit. You know, still, Justin missed a lot of people open. You know, I don't know if you saw that video. I posted a video in my uh, podcast, and it was it was a strange one with the uh, guys. Uh, it was um, uh, 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 St. Brown from uh, Detroit, his brother, and DJ Moore talking on uh, – one one of these platforms, video game platforms, and Arama St. Brown was asking, like, why isn't Moody getting the ball? Like, I guess when he's watching film of a divisional opponent, he's seeing Moody up open all the time, and he's just like, he asked those guys, and they were like, yeah, he's like, yeah, he's throwing it, he's throwing it to you, number two, but like, he's not seeing Mooney's wide open. So, I think there's times you see Justin not kidding those guys, even. At some point, you got to hit some guys. And when they open, right. they open, regardless of the right. offense you're running. So I just think there's a lot of th- different things. You look at 225-yard passers um, this season. Justin only – and it's a stat I had with all these guys throwing all these yards for 225 yards plus. Justin's only had six in his career. So you, it's, that's something – this is a passing league at the end of the day. I know he's a special talent. But I think at some point as Bears fans, we have to take we as Bears, Bears, not Bears fans, Bears organization, we have to take our shot. What happened to taking our shots at quarterbacks? If it's yep. not there, we talked about it. We've heard that in the past. We got on um who's uh before polls, the general manager. Ryan Pace. I want to forget his name almost. Uh Pace. <laughs> he talking about he talked about taking shots at these quarterbacks, which he never did. Right. I mean, we're in a situation, and it, and here we are. I think everybody wants to haul. Everybody wants the big haul. I think Kayla Williams is the big haul. I think yep. that is the haul. And I and I'm inclined to agree that that I think is the direction they're going. And, and it would be my decision if it was mine. Obviously, it's not. Now, a couple things you mentioned. You know, the the comparisons Caleb gets to Patrick Mahomes, which are obviously unfair. Patrick Mahomes is on a trajectory to be the greatest quarterback in NFL history, but at the same time, a guy that coached both Patrick Williams and Caleb, uh, Patrick Mahomes and Caleb Williams in Cliff Kingsbury, he's the one that said they are eerily similar. So while it is an unfair comparison, his coaches who work directly under the, both these guys made those comparisons. Now your Cam Newton to Justin Fields comparison, I do think is a fair one as well. I think, you know, even outside of the Lamar Jackson uh, comp, I think the Cam Newton one is a little more appropriate. 
to your point, Cam Newton won MVP in his fifth year in the league. So it took some time for, for Cam to get to that point. But at the same time, Cam Newton had a few 4,000 yard passing seasons leading up to that. Right. Where, yeah, where I was going to throw that one in there. Right. He had some 4,000 yard right. passing so, years. So Justin, you know, and it isn't all his fault. Like Justin yeah. holds accountability for not even passing 3,000 yards, let alone 4,000. You mentioned Darnell Mooney's wide open. He's not getting the ball. I've been seeing a lot of discussion here about wide receivers you know, uh, not getting the kind of production that, you know, a good quarterback deserves. But at the same time, that production comes hand in hand from the quarterback. And a stat we threw out on the afternoon show this uh, today at noon was, do you guys know the last wide receiver not named DJ Moore to score a touchdown for the Chicago Bears? I'll let you both take a guess. Cole, commit. Yeah, just wide receiver. Dave Brown. How about you, Steve? Either him or um, Chase Claypool, probably. Do you got to see? Chase Claypool, that's a, that, that's you know what? It seems like a trick question. Yeah, the the, the answer. Is, I'm with yeah, you. The, yeah, the answer is Chase Claypool. Week two was the last wide receiver not named DJ Moore to score a touchdown for the Bears this year. Now, a lot of fans that are on Justin Fields' side go, "See, he doesn't have enough help. Just DJ Moore." But the other side of the coin is, you know, is Justin seeing the rest of the wide receivers. Darnell Mooney's had a year where he's had 1,200 yards receiving in, in the NFL. Chase Claypool, you know, I, he was gone after two weeks, but he had successful seasons in the NFL. Uh, you know, even St. Brown and, and like, yes, of course they need to add talent at the wide receiver position. But to act like, oh, well, if they just had four great wide receivers, all four would you know, get great numbers. It doesn't work like that. Justin's got to be able to spread it around as well. It, it works hand in hand. You know, uh, Tyler Scott had two drops for touchdowns in the yeah. Atlanta game. Yeah. So those could have been two. And then we wouldn't be talking about Chase Claypool at the end of the year. So it isn't all on Justin, but it isn't also all on the wide receivers as well. Or Luke Getzey. they've all kind of played a hand in the deficiencies. Now I'll let Corey go at you, Steve, the way he's gone at me for three months. <laughs> Okay. Hey, this is one-on-one pass rush, right? At this point. <laughs> yeah. I like oh, yeah. Um, but so uh, w- you mentioned some, some quarterbacks, right? You mentioned CJ Stroud. Uh, you mentioned Patrick Mahomes, right? Those are, those are guys that I think were put in the right system. And I think you could agree with this playing the game. Half the battle is all these guys coming out are talented. Do you not agree with that statement right oh, here, yeah. right? It's Absolutely. about the system you're in there. Look at Patrick Mahomes. He got to sit behind Alex Smith who came from San Francisco, was known as this game manager. He can't play. Colin Kaepernick's way better than him. He comes to Kansas City with Andy Reid, right, and is a four-time pro bowler, is leading the league in, in completion percentage, passing yards, and all that. This was the same player that San Francisco got rid of and said he's no good. So that's what that's the mark of a great coach. And you look at C.J. Stroud this year, Bobby Sloan, right? Who is he? A Kyle Shanahan disciple. Right, somebody that knows how to script for success for these guys. So when I look at Justin Fields, I'm looking at him like, man, he's got all the talent in the world. I think we can all agree with that, right? He's got a cannon of an arm. He does right. things that quarterbacks can't do. But he's been in the system with Matt Nagy and uh, Luke Getze that has done him a, a grave disservice. So when I look yep. at it, and I look at Shane Waldron, right, the offensive coordinator that's now for the Bears, look what he was able to do with Geno Smith's career. And Geno Smith, when he came from the Jets, everyone said, oh, no, this guy cannot play at all, right? I think we can all agree. J- 
Justin Fields has a lot more talent, a lot more upside, and hasn't even come close to scratching the surface of what he can be. So when I'm looking at, at breaking down his film, right, and I look at the second half of the year, in particular that game you talked about, Braggs, the Atlanta game, I, I think that game for him was was arguably the best game I think we've seen about I agree. passing precision, uh, throwing the ball on the money, quick release, timing. And this was a, a snow, snowy day, ball was wet. I mean, if Tyler Scott didn't have those drops, if DJ Moore didn't have those one drops, Justin Fields probably would have had four or five touchdowns and close to 400 yards passing in, in a game that, I mean, was the weather was awful. So for me, I'm looking at his really good games, and I'm like, there, there definitely is a correlation between game plan and success. And obviously some game plan is not going to be great, but you learn how to adapt. And when I look at what happened in the Super Bowl, right, I think everybody knew that Andy Reid and company were going to come back and win that game regardless of how bad they played, right? Because what does he do? He makes great adjustments. What has Kyle Shanahan shown in the big games? He can't make the big adjustments. During the regular season, he's king. But the, the mark of a good coach is when your team is not playing well. Because I think we could all agree that Patrick Mahomes in that game in that first half, really in, in the whole four, first four quarters, really didn't play that well of a football game. But when it came down to it, they made some adjustments. They got things going, and they were able to win that game. So yep. my thing is when I look at the Bears, I look at the way they played the last six, seven games of the season. And I think we can all agree that they were a playoff caliber team, correct? Yep, yeah, absolutely. With, with, with Defense was playing lights out with some major pieces that they're going to address this year, right? Imagine adding another wide receiver and imagine some offensive line help and now a play caller that can strip for success. That's my only thing is now you got a talented quarterback that has a play caller that's revived somebody's career that basically was out of the league at one point in time. They're like, this guy is, is going to be a career backup. So imagine what he can do with Justin Fields. Imagine trading back, getting all this value, being able to stack the team. I really do think people see the value in Justin Fields. They see the talent. It's now it's, it's different than Mitchell Trubisky. I think Bears fans get too skewed about what happened with Mitchell Trubisky. When he was gone, he was gone. There was no even debate about it. I think that's why this is a sure. hard decision because oh, yeah. Justin Fields yeah. is so talented. And I think everyone can say he hasn't even scratched the surface of what he can be. So it's about unlocking that potential. And I really do believe in the right system with a person that can get him the confidence, that can script for success and really be a mentor to him. Geno, Geno Smith threw for over 4,000 yards two, two years ago. This year, he should have threw for another 4,000 yards. He missed two games. So people say, oh, well, he didn't play as well this year. He was still on pace for over 4,000 yards. So that's yeah. what I'm just saying. Like, imagine what Shane Waldron can do with a guy like Justin Fields. There's other pieces to the puzzle. I think if they're, they're a pass rusher and a defensive lineman away from being a dominant defense. I'm talking about uh, a first-in-the-league type of defense. And I think offensively, they got a great running game. You're going to run the football. You're going to work play action. And now you're a receiver away from being a dominant offense, I believe. So, and I'm, and, and I think we're all kind of step for step in that. And, and to, to your point, it's not just like Justin Fields versus Caleb. It's, it's, it's the trade back, you know, it's the contract. There's a lot of different layers that go into the decision. It's not just one versus one. Um, so that's kind of where we go with it. And you kind of set it up perfectly here. Woot. That was fun. Uh, I know that we set this show up as a talk about the trenches and that's exactly what I want to get to with two guys 
that played on one guy on the offensive side of the ball, offensive line, and one guy in the defensive line. That's something where I really wanted to hone in on. But it was cool to see you two as former players be on both sides of this debate because from what we've seen a lot here in the media and with the fans, it's very split down the middle. But for a lot of former players, we've seen a lot of people that are team Justin and it's it doesn't feel as heavily on 50-50 side of it when it comes to current players and former players saying they should move on from him. So, Steve, so, you brought so, up a so different one more, th- one more thing, Brad, before uh-oh. we get into that, right? So <laughs> yes, let's, 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 let's bring up another quarterback, right, Tom Brady. If he's in any other place besides the Patriots, he is not the GOAT that we know now, right? And people talk about, is Patrick Mahomes better than Tom Brady was at this point in his career? A thousand percent. And I, right, I don't right. think anybody would ever disagree oh, yeah. about that. Okay. Tom Brady was a glorified game manager during during those first oh, yeah, couple absolutely. Super Bowls. And, and you've seen it, right? He yeah. had a great defense. They had a great scheme. They protected him. And then all of a sudden, as his career got on, then we started seeing confidence. We saw clutch moments. But mm-hmm. early on, he was he was a, a glorified game manager, and that's no disrespect to him at any means. They ran a great system. They protected him. Uh, but that's my only thing is he was in a great system, right? The system was supposed to be for Drew Bledsoe that had a cannon of an arm that could make every throw. That wasn't Tom Brady. What did a great coach do? He catered the system to him. Yep. And and that's that's my point being, right? There's some guys in this league that can play in any system, right? Tom Brady towards the end of his career. Aaron Rodgers, I think he's a guy that's just that talented that can play in any system. Now Patrick Mahomes, right? He's be, kind of becoming that quarterback can play in any system. But I think majority of quarterbacks, 95% of quarterbacks, they have to be in, in a system that's catered to them and suits their strengths. You see what I'm up against, Big yeah. Steve? This is and what I, I'm up against. Woo. And I got yeah. something. You he, got he, it. Because well, well, you know, Henry, he's no, he's a Northwestern guy now. This is pretty intimidating. <laughs> he's a Northwestern <laughs> guy, you know. Uh, brought up good points. I think they bringing in a great coaching staff. I think as far as, you know, I was on board with a limit. I wanted everybody gone, okay? They count, they count Eberflus. I'm like, fine. Who are you going to bring in? I think the way they set it up, um, they brought in uh, Waldron. He wasn't fired. The head coach was fired. Or, and then um, who is Brown? Um, that's that the other coach they're bringing in past game coordinator who was also from Carolina. Right? Yeah, for Carolina, yeah. they work yep. together. I think, yeah, now you have, I think, if you, if you wish that was Eber Flus's first office of coordinators and he brought in this, this is a, this is a dream setup. You know, Brown is a guy who people say is a, a p- potential head coach. So these guys coming together and working, it's a perfect scenario for a coach. I mean, a player, uh, a quarterback. Uh, perfect scenario for a baby. They've shown that they can revive uh, a quarterback in Geno Smith. And also seems like a perfect scenario where you can bring in a rookie quarterback. But I, I'm going to tell you this. You, you know, are these guys coming in to be like, hey, we want to fix somebody? Now they're not going to give him them that information. Maybe they will. I don't know if they would sign up for something that they didn't know they might be getting some young quarterback that might make them really look good. I don't know. I don't know if they're in it for another project, but I tell you this, this is, this is a good, this is a good thing about Justin Fields. I mean, I think all the potential you want to, you want to get the old line fixed. I don't even know if they would, you know, if, if one of those tackles from Penn state, the guy from Notre Dame, if they dropped a nine, the way he posed, making it seem, 
he's he said on Braxton Jones at left tackle. Like he feels like he's the guy, which I don't think so. I like I want one of those tackles. If we don't get a tackle at number nine, I would have been happy keeping Braxton Jones. He's got enough playing time. I think there's some growth there, but I think we could definitely upgrade there. Um, yeah, we need to get better at the online. We need a center. There's no brainer. I think um, you know, Tevin uh Tevin Jenkins injury is a concern. I would you know, that's one of the concerns, but I think the biggest thing is moving him back to right guard, you know, where I thought he had really good success, um, you know, when he had to go over there because Nate Davis got injured. And I think Nate Davis was kind of, we, we got to give him another year, but he missed a lot of time with personal stuff. And then when he was on the field, he wasn't very, very productive. So obviously we need to add some things on that old line but you're never going to have a perfect scenario on the whole line. You know right. what I mean? So that's one of those things. Patrick Mahomes wasn't really working with a lot. And, you know, as you can see on those tackles, they were struggling. They were struggling, but like, he's just a quarterback. I'm going to say this, because I think when I was with the bears, it was time we had really, really good old lines. We had the infrastructure. We had the defense and I bad. Our old line used to get bad rap. I played with 13 quarterbacks in four years. We got a bad rap. We can run the ball into nine-man boxes and all. We didn't care. We ran the ball. We just got a bad rap because, you know, oh, they can't pass protect. Well, we had 13 quarterbacks that patted the ball. They pat-pat, as uh, Olin we used to say. Um, you know, the common denominator was always the quarterback. You know what I mean? Now, you know, obviously we didn't have a Justin Fields on who – would he have been good in that situation? But I think you can always have the perfect scenario as a team, but the common denominator is always going to be that quarterback that can get you a Super Bowl, who can win you a Super Bowl, not just be a good team. Can you get that quarterback to win you a Super Bowl? One of my, and this is a good quote, and I thought it was funny. It wasn't, you know, it's kind of a joke. That guy on my my show came on and said, he said, Justin Fields like kind of like Javi Baez. He's exciting to watch. He makes exciting plays, but he strikes out a lot. And it's not to say Justin's just like throwing interceptions, but it's exciting. But like, it's just missing that complete component. That's what Javi Baez was just, just uh, a discipline away from getting a strikeout or striking out all the time from being a really all around great player. And that's just kind of like what Justin, he brings that excitement, but he's just missing that component. Maybe you can get it with this new coaching staff, but I think you just got to take the, you got to take the hit. We got to look what Caleb Williams is bringing to the table. I think there's some of the things you, you got to watch the guy and what he brings to the table, his ability to pass down the field, keeps his eyes down the field. He's got that ability to run. He's shown that. He's shown some exciting runs. Just, you know, Patrick Mahomes, forget all the run. Just Patrick Mahomes led the the Chiefs in rushing in the Super Bowl with sixty six yards rushing. Right. Wish I would have put a. I wish I would have put an alternate uh rushing yards on that for forty. You know, it's just I think it's a lot of ways to look at it. But at the end of the day, I just feel like you could still get a lot of things done as far as dressing the O line, um, getting a receiver. Your guy from Washington may be there. O lineman, a ta left tackle might be there. Or if there's nobody there, you trade down because there might be some teams trying to move up. So I think you can still get what you want and draft your quarterback. So, uh, so this Braggs, is real, yes, real quick to, yes, to counter his points, right? So when you said you. the quarterback is what makes the Super Bowl, right? That That's what takes them to promised land, right? So 07 and 11, right? Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback on earth, right? 
who 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 destroyed that game for him? The Giants defensive line. Oh, yeah. Right? The trenches, Von Von Miller single-handedly, the MVP, Cam Newton, right? He single-handedly destroyed oh, yeah. that game. Right. And then we look at Cliff Averill um and uh and company and Legion of Boom completely took out Peyton Manning because of that defense and the trenches. So I'm a firm believer on oh, yeah. the offensive defensive lines, especially the defensive line. That's why San Francisco should have won that Super Bowl, right? Now, if Shanahan would have ran the football more behind that talented offensive line and allowed that defensive line to create havoc like they were, they should have won that game. But Braggs, yet again, like I say about Shanahan, always in the big games, right? Atlanta in yep. 2016. Oh, we're up three scores. Let's pass the ball. No. In that game, they, I think we could all agree, right? San Francisco controlled those trenches. And if and if you're an offensive lineman, right? You're you're uh, you're in that situation with Shanahan and company. You're like, hey, let's keep running the ball. Let's keep running. We're manhandling them. We're driving them down the field. I just didn't understand at that point. So yep. San Francisco should have won that game if they would have just ran the football and relied on the trenches. So my point being is that the trenches, I think, right? You have to have a quarterback that can make plays. Don't get me wrong, but Eli Manning, what he did in both of those Super Bowls, especially the one. Got a lucky helmet hat catch. Um, but other than that, right? I mean, his game wasn't out of this world or anything. Wow. The defense won those games. And the trenches, his offensive line, controlled the run game and all that. So yeah. I'm a firm believer. And, yes, you have to have a quarterback that can play. But the trenches, a team that has dominant trenches, that is the recipe. Like, when you yeah. can run the football down somebody's face, and then defensively, you can get in the backfield, you can cause pressure, you can cause errant throws. That's the recipe for me. So I'm looking at the Bears, like I said before. Yeah. They're a defensive end, a defensive tackle yeah. away from being. But why can't down, why can't right? we address that and get the quarterback where we still in a great position if you trade Justin Fields as well? I mean, it's drumming up where there's gonna be a few yeah, teams I, buying from him. And I and I agree with you, Steve. I, I do think both can still be accomplished. Obviously, if you keep fields and you trade back a haul that's going to give you equity for three more years. But if you want to just talk about what they can build this year, if you opt to draft Caleb and you trade fields, there's a lot, there's a lot they can have. They have the third most uh, cash to spend in salary cap uh, heading into free agency, which is essentially three weeks away from today. You have the number one and the number nine pick. And then depending on what you can get for fields, you'll have that draft equity, you know, coming up this year. So Let's just get into the meat and potatoes of it. That was a lot of fun watching you two go back and forth on, <laughs> on this debate because, you know, fans can go all day. Media can go all day, but for a lot of people, we're going to respect and value your guys' opinion the most. Cause you guys were in it, Steve, you were blocking for 13 different quarterbacks. It, woo, you were running down 13 different quarterbacks and you killed one of them named Brett Favre. And we loved it <laughs> and we will forever love you for that. And so, that's what, you know, Steve, you kind of hit on some of them, but I kind of want to slow it down and, and walk you through each one a little more. Um, uh, let's just start with the guys that played this year. So from, from your standpoint, did Braxton Jones do enough in your mind to not draft a left tackle at nine? No, he, no, he didn't. Um, I just think he, he, he still kind of showed, he, he showed a little more strength. I know he worked with Olin, really worked on his anchor. Um, you know, one thing me and Oakland, Olin come from the same tree of touch, Tunklin, um, you know, punching system. 
And, you know, so I know Olin still teaches that. I still teach it to young guys. And um, Olin was the guy who used to bring them in, you know, uh, for the offseason. Um, so I know he got when he when they said Olin was working, and I said, great, you know, Olin's going to get him right. But there was still some things that I think he was susceptible to as far as, like, he started now giving up the edge a little bit more. When something that he was athletically enough, to, you know, able to handle speed rushers, he just couldn't sit down on the bull rush. But I thought I, I thought now what Deans had was a plan was like, hey, show bull, take the edge, outside edge, shorten. Now he was shortening up the edge. So I thought I thought he was starting to overcompensate for trying to sit on the bull rush. And Deans have a script on him now. So now it's going to be an adjustment for him if they decide to go. But I don't think he did enough. I think you got two left tackles. I don't know if they will be there at nine, but if they drop, and it will be a hard decision if you had a receiver sitting there at nine. Um, you know, now I understand where the trading back sounds like more of a deal now. You know what I mean? If you did go with a trade, you you know, you, you know, get Marvin Harrison possibly, and then you still have, so you've addressed your receiver. Now you can just go to left tackle if that is a being a selection. So I can see where, you know, of course it looks great when you could trade back, but um, if they're, you know, in the scenario of just wherever, say you don't get that receiver in that top, you know, top pick or whatever, if one of those guys are there, you have to take them. You have to take them. Um, do you I have a pre- that, that, do you have a do you have a preference between Joe Alt or Olu Fashanu from Penn State? Um, no, nah, I haven't dove, I haven't dived in into the te- film there. You know, uh, giving my boy Phil. We're gonna get into that tape soon. Um, so I haven't really dived in. Uh, I've seen the little flashes of uh, of the guy from Penn State. I don't even, you see, I ain't trying to stay away from his name. Um, yeah. Olu he showed Yeah, I thought he was a guy who would have came out and been a top ten pick last year. Um, you know, he was flirting with coming out, so I think he he's he's long, he's athletic. Um, I, I would love to have either one, but I haven't bust down the tape enough how, to how, figure out who exactly who I want. How about how, how about you, Woot? Um, do you think a Do you think Braxton Jones did enough to hold that position down? And then B, if Olu Fashanu or Joe Alt from Notre Dame are there at nine, would you take that option instead? I would. I'm I'm a big Fashanu fan. I, I like him. I just think Ryan Poles is set on Braxton Jones. See, that's yeah. his guy. I that's think he guy. thought he did enough. He did improve from last year with the bull rush. He was soft on the edge. Um, that's what you see a lot of times when people compensate on one area of the game, the other kind of crumbles a little bit. And that's what you yeah. see. Like you're setting up a guy act like you're in a bowl, soften that edge up with, with your hands, a rip. Um, but I think with Shane Waldron's principles, I think they're going to keep them, right? They do a lot of chip help. They do, a, you know, a lot of chips with the uh, running backs, with the tight ends. So I think for them, they're thinking, okay, we have a guy that's stable. And he reminds me a lot of like a Charles Leno. He's a solid guy, right? Is, is not going to beat you too much, but is going to be a guy that can then be a starter for four to five years and, and be solid in there. But I just think Poles is is right now like focused on wide receivers, focused on defensive line because that's something he really didn't address, with the exception of uh, a sweat. So I think he's going to really focus on that. And I think he likes Braxton Jones, obviously. Right? I think he's going to continue to improve and get better. He has the athleticism. Uh, he did it, Steve. You could probably attest to this. He did a lot of things that you're kind of like, whoa, you're not supposed to do that. And he still was able to be productive out there. 
and and yeah. and be able to hold that that four down on right tackle. So I think he's going to continue and improve once he gets his technique. But um, yeah, I, I think they're going to stay put with Braxton Jones. I yeah. would like if if a tackle is there that they feel great about, um, that they feel can be their franchise left tackle. And that's the thing, you know this. Yeah. Franchise. Look at Trent Williams, right? A guy on, on that played in the Super Bowl in year 15 that's still doing big things. Um, Andrew Whitworth years ago before he retired was that franchise left tackle when he went to, um, you know, the Rams, he was able to hold that fort down. Every great quarterback usually has that, that dominant left tackle Orlando pace with Kurt Warner and company. Um, that's just what it is. Right. Um, so I'm hoping they, they, they would go that route, but I just don't think they are. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I just, I think that they are stuck on that. And we, we both know that, you know, you you get that left tackle anchor that can that can be the centerpiece. It doesn't feel like it, but those guys equate to wins. You look at Lance Johnson uh, with the Eagles at the right tackle spot. They they talked about how much he equated to winning when he was you know based on when he was in the lineup when he was versus when he was out the lineup. So that was at the right tackle position. And you know, a guy who could just lock down his edge. Um, it's so important. Like you say, you gave those examples of these Hall of Fame, Jonathan Ogden, when they got Jonathan Ogden and Ray Lewis, that was like a centerpiece of them building a great franchise. But like you said, I think, I think Poles is, he's, he's secure and we, we got that. We can get by with that. He probably knows that he's not yet that guy or he would ever be that guy maybe, but he's, satisfactory enough he's like he said he's improved in some areas you know they expect him to get better and they can focus on you know addressing other areas that they need to so um all right well let's keep let's kick it down the line a little bit um continue because you know while i got you here steve i definitely want to know what your thoughts on on each of these offensive linemen so you mentioned tevin jenkins and you liked what he saw from right at right guard so obviously that peels behind the curtain a little bit of your thoughts of Nate Davis, which we'll get to, but just Tevin Jenkins for himself. Like, like I, I loved what we saw from Tevin this year. I've been really impressed by him over the last two years, you know, knowing that he really wanted to play tackle and was pushed to guard. He obviously didn't like that at first and yet still embraced that role, put his head down, got to work. And when he's healthy, it's hard to argue that he's not their best offensive lineman out there. Even this year, with Darnell Wright looking as good as he did as a rookie, when Tevin was healthy, it was hard to argue because I think the thing that I loved so much about Tevin was he didn't just always stay on who his assignment was. And if there was somebody that needed to be blocked that took priority over maybe what his assignment technically was, a guy's coming beeline for Justin Fields, he was like right there and like break glass in case of emergency, he'd show up in a pinch and take that crucial block that sometimes would open up a touchdown uh, for Justin Fields in the offense. So, but the problem is, is the, is the health. So I guess my question to you, and then we'll kick it to Corey is, is he, is, is it worth giving him a contract extension, even with the risk of the injuries that he sustained throughout his career? Cause I almost feel like now's a good time to sign him. And I think of a guy like Mark Colombo, who we signed early around your time, big Steven. Same and he, year. Yeah, yeah. And he, and he exactly same year. And he was kind of, you know, issued the bust label in Chicago. We sent him packing and then he goes on to Dallas to have a pretty long career, successful career. 
So I'm almost looking at it like, let's get ahead of this. Maybe he comes at a little cheaper of a price because he did get hurt again this year a couple times to start the year and then at the back end of the year. Is he worth giving a contract extension to, or are you going to let this play itself out? Um, I, I think it's worth it, but I think, you know, you got to let it play out. I think it's, it's another situation where you want to see how how he comes back health-wise. It's just, it is what it is. You have to see how he comes back, how he responds through a season. Um, in particular, I, I would love to see him in right guard. You know, let's put him, you take him out of, you know, his tackle spot. You move the guy all over the place. Kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, Kyle Long, where you just kind of had him all over the place, never let him really get settled in one spot. Um, I would love to get him on the right side. And it means something, man, to be on the side that you're comfortable with. Uh, your right tackle, to be at right guard, it's the same stance, the same stagger. Um, and then, you know, you got those two big guys next to each other. They show, they, show they can be a force and dominant force. And, and that's something we haven't seen in a while. Two guys on the same side that can be really formidable. So I would, I would, I would be definitely open it to to giving him an extension, but I would want to give it a little time. And as far as he's 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 way in a he's in a far better situation than Mark Colombo because I Mark Colombo was the first round draft pick when I was there and I went undrafted. Mark Colombo dealt with injuries off knees, you know, not shoulders. I mean, neck and no neck and back can be a, a, a death killer, especially on the O line, you know. But Mark Colombo's knees were really shot. He had took some little bit of time because me and him were on the free agent market together. And we were just kind of on this tour, you know, going to these different teams. And uh, I got picked up before Mark Colombo with the Giants. And then he was kind of out there. So I think that was probably a time where he got to get healthy finally. And then he just landed in a great spot and had a long career. So I think Tevin Jenkins is in a little bit better place because he's actually been on the field more than Mark Colombo. But a good example of that. Um, I just think you got to see a little bit more. And it'll be interesting to see, are they going to make that move and put him a right guard? Because that means Nate Davis has to go to left guard to guard. Is he going to be open to that? And that's a weird thing. Some guys, old line guys are, you know, for me, it was, hey, I was just trying to get in and make, make sure I was on the team. It didn't matter where I was at. Some guys come in with some money. I'll, you brought me in. I want to be on this side. Uh, is he going to be cooperative and he's going to be flexible to move to the left guard you know have all off season to kind of make that move have they had that discussion with him um so that that you know i think the most importantly put him because i think you know he had a good year when he was on the field as far as uh, tevin jenkins but he did kind of struggle in that last game against green bay um i think the whole old line kind of struggled <laughs> the whole team struggled in the sense um Let's just see if they're going to move him to right guard. Let's see if he stays healthy. And if he shows that, let's give him that extension. Let's keep him because he, when he's on the field, he, he's, a, you know, he's probably great and higher than anybody on that O-line. Yeah, he, he plays with nastiness, and that's what you need on the O-line. And Bragg, you remember I told you before that Green Bay game, what did I say was the X factor? The Green Bay defensive line. You're like, oh, their defense is this and that. I, said, <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> you, you didn't say that? You said they were 30th in this. And, oh, it should be an easy game. Bra Braggs, come on. We can, we can play back the tape. Well, about Braggs, you, you didn't say him. Green Bay was going to be an easy game for us. <laughs> he said, he said, he said, I talk a lot of shit, Steve. Steve, he I said, talk he a said lot. They're, they're 29th or 30th. And I said, Braggs, I said, their defensive line, they got some killers on there. Rashawn Gary, uh, yeah, Preston well, Smith, Kenny Clark. <laughs> 
and well, they absolutely dominated. Bryce Young and the Panthers put 30 on the on the Packers like two weeks before that game, and Bryce Young had like 320 yards okay. passing and three touchdowns. So forgive what, me for having they a do little bit of expectations. What, what did they do against San Francisco? They pressured them, right? They 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 got a talented bunch. That, that's my point being. Um, but Tevin Jenkins. I think if I'm the Bears, I'm going to I'm going to offer him an extension, right? But it has to be friendly. It's got to be more of it's got to be a better deal. It's got to be more front loaded because I think when he's out on the field, he is a dominant force. Yeah. So if I'm the Bears, I'm go, I'm going to extend him because if he balls out this year, there's a chance he could hit the uh, free agent market <laughs> or his you're price right, right. up way high. <laughs> So I'm, you're I'm right. Hey, you gotta, that's an excellent point. Because that boy, you got to play that game now. If that boy got here and has a healthy season, he's gonna be asking for a bank. And that's all oh, you yeah. need he's is gonna be a highest paid guard, season. probably at that point. Yeah. So I, I think you gamble, and I think you I think you give you give him you give him a deal now. And obviously, I think you, you're gonna save yourself some money because yeah, like Steve said, if he balls out, he's gonna be the top paid guard in the league. All right. All right. I appreciate you guys. You know, and of course, Corey always calling me out. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, let's, you know, we're, we're, we're getting, we're rounding third here on the show. I don't want to take up too much or either of your time, but I certainly appreciate all your guys' insights for sure. Um, so center obviously is a position of need that needs to be filled. I think that kind of goes without saying I, a, a guy that I've kind of got my eyeball on is Evan Brown, the center from Seattle. That is a free agent. He's kind of of that, Lucas Patrick mold, bring a guy in that knows the system veteran has played. It isn't necessarily like a top end center or anything by that means, but can at least come in and hold the position down. If you do choose to draft a center as well, at some point in the later rounds, which I think is the route they should take. Cause I don't really see many options outside of that in free agency. My guy, Gary Ross is saying no to Brown in the chat, but um, I'm calling the shots here on after dark. So, um, so Nate Davis, we don't really have to talk too much about Tevin Jenkins. I feel like, I think we're all kind of impressed with his trajectory and what he's doing. I could, we could probably spend a whole 20 minutes on how impressive I felt. I think we all felt he looked unless you feel otherwise, Steve, and then you could speak on it. So I do want to talk about Nate Davis because Steve, you, you mentioned getting Tevin Jenkins, the right guard. So I'm one to, am I one to assume here? that you weren't overly impressed with Nate Davis. They've signed him to a four-year deal. So what do you do with him then? Because he's supposed to be one of your veteran pieces on this line that you don't like, okay, this, this, this position check, you're not supposed to think about it anymore, but you're saying that they still have to. Yeah. I think, I think you, you know, you, he's obviously not going nowhere. He's fr fresh into a deal. You brought him here. Um, I know he spent a lot of time early in training camp with some personal stuff, um, things off the field. You can't blame a guy. You don't know what's going on in the guy's life. So um, he missed some time. He missed some time with some injuries. So it was some things that didn't go smoothly. And uh, sometimes that stuff translates into the your on-field play. You know, you hope that things clean up for him and everything's going well with him in the offseason. But you do ask the guy to make that change. I remember when I was um, with the Bears, we had John Tate was at right right tackle. So we gave, we signed John Tate was a big big time free agent coming out of Kansas City. Um, we signed him uh, to a big money. He was at right guard right tackle, but everybody knew Olin. Everybody was just like, "Hey man, 
Tate got to move to left tackle, man. We need to solidify that. We know he can do it. He's he's played it at Kansas City at one point. Um, and I just know it was a weird thing with him switching his hips. He was, in, you know, I don't know if it was a, some kind of injury thing or something like that nature. Um, I, I just know he was worried about flipping his hips around. And, you know, I think that going into that second year, his contract, they asked him to do that. And he he was a team player, you know, guy who's making a lot of money, um, but it was a team player. Took that whole season, really switched that stance, and came back. And he was a part of that. One of the big reasons why you know you had that run to the Super Bowl um, with that unit, you know, that good offensive line, um, you know, lead by Ola Cruz and Ruben Brown and Roberto Garza and Fred Miller. Um, John Tate was that anchor of the left tackle. Uh, so you asking Nate Davis, I, I think you asking him to make that move um, for the betterment of the team. Not necessarily we need to hit, lock him down, but, you know, if he could get that down, get back to what they brought him in, it, it, you know, what, I'll be honest, he, he was supposed to be a, a dominant run blocker, you know, a guy who could roll the grade coming out of Tennessee Titans. Um, not particularly a great, you know, the greatest pass protector, but um, he didn't really show any of that this year. He didn't show that he could be a dominant runner. I saw a lot of times he missed a lot of one-on-one blocks. He got thrown around, was off balance. It just like, is this the guy they brought in and gave $30 million to? That was the only guard available. But uh, I know he looked good at times. You look at film when he was at the Titans, he was a dominant run blocker. So you just hope that he can reset things. If the, I don't know. We don't know if the Bears asked him to make that move. But if they did, you hope he's receptive receptive to that for the betterment of the team because Tevin Jenkins needs to be the right guard. And then I think we now we're cooking in a sense. You, I think you still have to bring in another guard in the draft. I think you need to try to get you another tackle if you can. Obviously, center is priority, free agency, and in the draft. And uh, I think you've got some stuff going. So I'm hoping that he makes these adjustments and things are going right in his personal life and he's healthy and having a good offseason season. Hopefully moving to left guard. Yeah, the, the, the only thing I'm hoping uh, with Nate Davis, he went through a lot this offseason. You know, I think he lost his mother, I believe, or somebody yeah. in his family. So, yeah. you know, that that is a tough situation, right, uh, for anybody to lose, uh, you know, their, their mom or dad. Um, so I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. Let's let's have a fresh start this offseason. Yeah. Hopefully he'll, he'll be the, the force that we saw in Tennessee. And, you know, the, the, the guards will be great. Uh, we got a pretty good right tackle. Uh, Braxton Jones is improving if they don't, you know, uh, draft a tackle. And now the center position. And, Steve, you could attest to this. Center is such a different position now than back when you played and back back in the 90s, 80s. Th- there was a zero nose a lot of times on these centers. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. you know, nowadays centers love it, right, because they can play forever and they're not having to deal with a big guy like Ted Washington or some of those guys. Um, literally you're, you're, you're going over there and you're helping people and you're basically the quarterback. Very rarely do you have a big fella on you course of, of every snap of the game trying to beat your face in. So it's, it's a different ball game as far as centers. And it's more of a strategic thing, right? We, we want the, the smart, intelligent guys that are going to be able to, to, to read opposing the, we're going to set the protection this way. We're going to be able to help out. We're going to be the quarterback of, of this offense. They've, the center has always been the quarterback, but it's just such a different, it's such a different time to be a center. Oh, yeah. right? it, yep. it, it really, it really is. And I, I think 
what probably when Olin <laughs> sees the game, he's probably like, uh, and he was an undersized center still yeah. going against those guys that were three. Oh yeah. Going man. against a Gilbert Brown, you know, one of the Pat <laughs> Williams, was, man. Still crazy. Um, you know, our guy Jack Silverstein has pointed out many times with Hester and Mongo and Peppers getting in the Hall of Fame. Only four centers in the history of the NFL are in the Hall of Fame. So it's a position that it doesn't get its due respect. Gary Ross, our intrepid Bears beat reporter in the chat, correcting me as always, and I appreciate his help. Correct him, Gary. Correct Nate, him. Nate Davis. <laughs> be quiet, Woot. Nate Davis has three years, and his first two are guaranteed. So he's already through one year. So one more year guaranteed money. Uh, so a little more flexibility and maybe a potential look to – uh, replacing him, maybe not as uh, if he had a four-year deal, that might change the circumstances a little bit. Uh, before we get into the defensive line, and then we'll call it a night, did want to give a shout-out to our guys over at Circa Sports. Um, you know, we're excited to do some things here coming up with them here in the college basketball and NFL draft and everything else coming up. They've been great with our tailgates, and, um, you know, you got to make sure you hit up their uh, Circa Sportsbook app. Tight money line splits. Games strive to be a minus 110 split on the circuit sports menu, unlike other sports books, which may use a minus 115 or 120 split. Circuit sports keeps as little money as possible on large market bets, uh, you know, especially compared to the other books. Uh, they're very transparent. Circuit sports does not limit players based on their winnings. Every player has the same limits, unlike other books who do limit winning players. I encourage all bettors to download and explore all different sports betting apps available and go for see for yourself. Compare the li lines from each sports book. Their customer service is second to none. Real people behind the Circus Sports brand who resolve issues in a timely fashion, unlike other books who use chatbots. All, all aspects of the app are being run by the same team that runs the main Circus Sports book at Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. We were just there a little over a week ago for uh, the Super Bowl Media Week, and it was uh, an amazing time. They've got a, a great, a great place. You know, the outdoor, uh, the circus sports swim where you can go hang out and uh, gamble outside and watch games. It's going to be, I know that place is going to be jumping for March Madness here right around the corner. So download the Circus Sports Illinois app at circusportscom slash Illinois dash app to sign up today. Also be on the lookout for circus events, watch parties and tailgates. If you or someone you know may have a get problem with gambling, call 1-800-GAMBLER or text GAMB833234 or visit areyoureallywinning.com. Okay, a few more things before we call it a night. Again, appreciate your guys' time. Um, you know, uh, you know, Chubbs, our guy in the chat, he's with you, Woot. You've been saying this for a couple months now. Uh, he says he's leading the draft Johnny Newton bandwagon on Twitter. I know, Woot, how big you've been on Johnny Newman, the – the Newton, the defensive lineman from Illinois, Chubbs is a big Illinois fan. You know, Steve, have, have you gotten a chance to watch him play? Do you have any thoughts on how the Bears can improve their defensive line in the draft? Yeah, I've, I've seen some clips of that guy, man. He is a motor. He is a nasty playing dude, man. Uh, definitely, that that I would I think that would be a, a instant of, you know, I think you got some young guys going, but you're not sure. You know, you always want to keep adding, especially in this our defense is so important to get that three technique down. So if, if there's an opportunity there for them to draft a guy at nine, I think you got to take a hard look at it. Um, 
you know, but he also at the same time, you do got two guys you invested draft picks in. So I know if you're in the mind of uh, Ryan Poles, you might be like, hey, I kind of got that squared away. I want to see these young guys progress. I want to get them reps. I want to get them snaps. So we might be looking, but like, I think he's a guy you have to take a hard look at. I like everything that he, he brings to the table. Uh, he's, he's got that. He reminds me of um, your boy Wilkins from Miami Dolphins. Kind of reminds me of him if there's a comp. So yeah, Christian Wilkins. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, you know, and I, you know, that, that would be a great addition. I, I mean, anything to help that defensive line out, uh, and taking that to the next level is going to be key this offseason. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a big Johnny Newton fan. I think in this Tampa two scheme, Braggs, I've talked that we've talked about this all the time. The three technique is the engine that runs this system. And you look at Warren Sapp back Tampa two for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, him and Simeon Rice. Unbelievable out there, right? Warren Sapp was able to penetrate to destroy plays in the backfield to win one-on-one rushes. And that's the great part about a dominant three technique is you're usually away from the slide. So you're one-on-one on that guard. And that's how the big dogs eat. So in this scheme, it sets you up perfectly for that. So whether it's Johnny Newton or potentially we go in in free agency and maybe we get a guy like Chris Jones. And people say, oh, he's 29 years old. The dude is still a dominant force in there. Right? Oh, yeah. he, he is one of the best players in the league. He's dominant. He can play three technique. He can shift outside at times. We've seen him pass rush against tackles. There's nothing that he can't do. So I would love him. Like my ideal scenario right now would be in the offseason to get Danielle Hunter and Chris Jones. If we yeah. could get those two. And then for the draft. You want both? Yes. I would love to get both. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that would work, but if we if we could get both of those guys uh, or even one of them, I, I would be very happy. Especially, especially guy like Daniel Hunter. I mean, abs- absolute beast in there, uh, freaking nature. Him opposite Montez Sweat. Oh, that that would be unbelievable. Um, so, Corey, Corey busting out the checkbook for both. I, I, think, Daniel I, think, Hunter. I think Chris Jones. I, I like the Chris. You know, I don't know if they're gonna let him go, but you know, like you said, people saying he's twenty nine. He's obviously got the juice, and you, you could, you can, you got two young guys where you could kind of, you know, get him his time off. You know what I mean? Obviously, he's a guy that you kind of want to not. He's not going to play a hundred snaps on you, so and that's why you got those two other two young guys. So I, I think a guy like that is could be just the tipping scale to lead your team because he's coming in. Obviously, he's still dominant player, but also is going to bring those three rings and that three ring attitude so i love the chris jones possibilities and especially you're talking about developing a guy like jervon dexter right you got a proven leader and when we talked about Jalen carter getting drafted to philly he was in like one of the perfect situations when it comes down to fletcher cox being a mentor for him and imagine you know what chris jones could be for a guy like jervon dexter see how chris jones pad level for a guy at a six six how, how he plays with great pad level, how he plays with great get off. And that's something we talked about with Jervon Dexter, right? He has the strength. He has the athleticism. Now it's pad level. Now, now it's getting off the football and Steve playing against how hard is it from when you, when you're going against a guy that's six, 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 seven, that plays with good pad level and gets off the football. How hard is that to, you know, go against a guy like that? You speak, speak, uh, you know, from, from your experience. 
Um, it, it is hard, you know. Uh, I can give some examples, and and they are great, great examples. Um, you know, when I went against John Henderson, and um, uh, he was a great player, but he used to play high. It was a, it was an easy target. Um, and then when I went against Sean Rogers from Detroit, who was six five but had played with low pad level, it was the most difficult. Man, people always ask me who's the most difficult guy you had to block. I said, well, outside of Tommy Harris at practice, it was Sean Rogers in the game because he was six five, he was quick, but his pad level was so low for being a tall guy. It was, it was, it was hard. It was impossible, man. So it, it means a whole world of difference. A guy like that because he's got the leverage, he's got the long arms. Um, it, it's it's pretty special. You get a guy like that to play with that kind of low pad level. Like when we talk about Julius Peppers for a guy that's six seven, three hundred pounds that plays with great pad level that runs a four five forty. I mean, it's good good luck, Chuck, at that point, right? Oh, yeah. He gets off the football, he gets up under. Like I've never seen someone with the except obviously we all know Reggie White with his hump move. I've never seen anyone that has a hump move that is pretty dang close to what Reggie White was able to do. Peppers would deplete people sometimes, and especially. So Reggie White did it with his dominant hand because he played on the left side. Peppers did did it with his left hand. So I think, you know, playing on the right side, which was which is impressive. I've seen him pick up guys, uh, Jake Long, who was one of the more dominant left tackles, hump him to the side, completely deplete him. Uh, he, he did that countless examples. But playing with pad level is one of the key things. And if Jervon Dexter can do that, lights out. We, we, we got ourselves a rising superstar. But, Steve, the thing is, Jervon Dexter came from Florida. He ran that two-gap system where he'd get off the ball slow. He'd read and react. And I was telling Braggs, it's very hard to get away from those habits, right? I think get off, and you, you could probably attest this playing against guys. It's either usually guys have it or they don't. It's really hard to work, right? People just usually have that natural ability to get off the football. It's something that could be worked at. But I think the really good players are guys that consistently get off the ball. When I look at, you know, J.J. Watt when he was in his prime, Aaron Donald, you know, you look at some of the most dominant pass rushers, they always had that instant get off. They were able to get that first step. And I'm hoping it's something that Jervon Dexter can can really work on because if he can do that, I, I, I think it's lights out for him. But the thing is, it's crazy that he's able to be so productive and you look, Steve, when I watch him, I see him like the ball snapped, 1-1,000, 2-1,000. Then he gets out of his stance. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Like, you, imagine how many more sacks and how many more pressures and how much more he could affect the quarterback in the backfield if he's getting off the ball faster. So I'm just hoping in this offseason that's something he really works. And I, I told Braggs, I think he should go to one of those pass rush specials. Chuck Smith, the guy for, that played for the Atlanta Falcons, he has this, this uh, D-line boot camp, and he's training some of the best. All they do is work get off in hands. That's all he should do this offseason because he's got the strength, he's got the quickness, he's got everything. He needs to work his get off and his hands. And I think once he can do that, I, I, I think he's going to be a scary player. Um, but I think when I'm looking at what the Bears should do, if you develop a really dominant defensive line, you have waves of guys. I look at what San Francisco has done with their drafting and their acquiring guys, you know, from Randy Gregory uh, to uh, Chase Young, all these different guys, you know, that they've been able to draft, Bosa and company. I'm hoping the Bears can do the same. When I look at Philly, why they weren't as good this year, 
it's because of their defensive line. People say, oh, no, no, the offense. So their defense was, was a different beast. They had four guys last year that had double-digit sacks. I believe they only had one this year. Hassan Reddick was the only one. So it was a completely different different team. And they got rid of uh, – what's his name? Went to San Francisco, Braggs. Hargrove. Hargrove. Hargrove, right? They got rid of him. And yep. Sweat wasn't as productive. Uh, Brandon Graham wasn't as productive. So we saw we saw a real drop-off in their ability to pressure the quarterback. So I think, obviously, offensive-defensive line, but I think defensive line is one of the most important things, especially when we're talking about the Tampa 2 scheme. It's all the rushing cover. Right back when I played 2012, we were a top five defense because of that rushing cover. And when you're able to affect opposing quarterbacks, get in the backfield, you cause turnovers. That's, that's the name of the game. So I believe if they can develop this defensive line, because that's something we really didn't address these past two offseasons. We did a good job of getting sweat, but for the most part, they really hadn't addressed this defensive line. A lot of stuff to consider here for the Chicago Bears. It's been a lot of fun watching you guys kind of go back and forth with different things uh, from the players' perspective on both sides of the ball. Even dabbled into a little Caleb versus Justin talk as the chat has completely set fire here in the last ten minutes while you guys were talking over uh, reportedly. Justin Fields unfollowed the Bears on Instagram. And, oh no! And so you know. Sometimes those things can be misconstrued. Sometimes, you know, like you'll see a player wash his account of different pictures and people take things from those and then they end up not being much of anything. But at the same time, this is what the off season is made of for Bears fans. We are now monitoring who people are following and unfollowing on Instagram. So we are just one week from today away from being at the NFL combine, you know, once again, last year at this time, the heat really got turned up when it came to trading the number one pick rumors were already starting to build at that point. And then once we got to the combine, you could feel that it was moments from happening. And then sure enough, about a week after the combine, it did indeed happen. The bears traded the number one pick to the Panthers. And now it turned into the number one pick again this year. So, um, you know, I'm excited to get there. I know a lot of fans that tune into here are excited to, to watch it and we'll be giving lots of coverage from Indianapolis next week, talking to all the different players, talking to the offensive line, you know, uh, draft, you know, potentials that the bears could find, you know, obviously talking to Caleb Williams and Drake may and Daniels and Roma Dunze, Malik neighbors, you know, uh, Marvin Harrison, jr. Uh, this is as, as, as divided as it has been for Chicago bears fans, you know, with this great debate on the direction of the franchise, they are in such a good spot with having two top 10 picks in a, in a year where you've got two, very two to three, very good quarterback options in the top 10, two very good left tackle options in the top 10, three very good wide receiver options in the top 10. We don't even talk about Brock Bowers, the tight end, because nobody, you know, values the tight end position as top 10 worthy, but this guy, you know, is being billed as one of the top tight end prospects to come out in quite some time. So a lot of options for the Chicago bears uh, at their disposal between free agency with the third most money to spend. And in the NFL draft, which is 66 days away. So uh, Steve, big Steve Edwards, we appreciate you coming on here tonight. And hanging out with us. Sorry. You had to put up with Woot. You know, the, <laughs> oh, no, man. It's, it's all love, player. man. We had a good day. I love that football. I love getting with guys and talking football back and forth. 
uh, especially he came in a different time, very close, but very different time. So it was a lot of relatabilities there. Uh, so that was pretty cool, man. I finally got to meet the guy, you know what I mean? Just, uh, I don't even know if I've seen you at any of the Bears or alumni events or anything like that, but when I, uh, hopefully we'll see each other. We'll go, we'll chat it up uh, in the future. Definitely, my man. Appreciate it. And and I think uh, I think either way, whether the Bears stick with Justin Fields or they go with Caleb Williams or whatever quarterback, I think they're in a great position to yeah. succeed this year and in the future. So I think I think everybody has their side, what they believe, and I think both have valid points. And I think there is a path to the Super Bowl with both options. And I think they're just going to continue building the team and being a positive route. So, you know, sometimes the Bears Twitter, it gets – it's all crazy and all that but at the end of the day i think the bears are set up for great success great success whatever yeah. way they go left or right yeah they'll yeah, be able I to think build the bears this fans need to know that we're in a good spot um you know we're in, you know and i think i think we got some good good guy to controls i think he's made fairly good uh i think he's made up for that clay pools pick with the sweat pick, you know, yeah. kind of really, you know, so I trust him and I think we're in a good spot. Even with Eberflus at the helm, he's going to be on that defense. I like the coaches they brought in, but let's see, let's enjoy a ride. And, um, you know, let's, let's, you know, let's keep debating. We have a lot to talk about. So let's enjoy it, Bears fans. Well, we'll definitely do that. No shortage of debating with Bears fans. So uh, please hit that like button for everybody that's still hanging out uh, here tonight. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Make sure you subscribe. And then, of course, if you haven't already, please sign up to become a diehard at allchgo.com slash diehard for all the different things from a free shirt right out the gate to, uh, you know, our Bears 100 draft guide that we're putting together that's specific to the Bears needs. Uh, that's exclusive to Bears fans only. A weekly newsletter that Adam Hogue puts out every single week. You'll be wanting to get in on this stuff before the combine hits next week so you can get all the inside track information that we're hearing down in Indianapolis, rubbing shoulders with some NFL insiders and everybody in between. So that wraps things up for tonight. Thank you to Corey Wooten as always. And thank you once again to big Steve Edwards. Uh, we'll catch you tomorrow afternoon at 12 PM central for CHGO bears until then, ladies and gentlemen, bear down.